Welcome to Leading Virtual Teams, the podcast for emerging and established leaders looking to find balance in the busy world of hybrid working. With me, Dr. Maren Deepwell. For new listeners, here is a quick reminder that you can find links to the resources mentioned in the episode and more information about me and my work in the show notes. If you'd like to keep in touch, subscribe to my free newsletter to get a roundup of all the episodes each month, blog posts, and information about upcoming courses directly to your inbox. Now, on to the episode. Hello there, and thank you for listening in. Today's episode is a little bit different from the usual format because I wanted to share the story behind a lot of the work I do on hybrid working. I've been doing a lot of reflecting recently, and one of the things I've been considering is where my interest in hybrid working came from and what I think is so interesting about it and why. And there is a a kind of clear professional delineation that I'm going to share a little bit more about. But I think for me, all things hybrid and virtual um, beyond working have a really personal history as well. So I wanted to share as a little bit of a, a fun introduction to the new course I'm running in October on hybrid working habits. I wanted to share a little bit of a personal history and a story of how I came to be interested in this particular area of work. So I need to go a little bit back. This is um, 1997 when I first moved to the UK and I was still a, um, a student at the time and I moved to the UK at a time when I think it was it was fairly unusual for um, people of my age. I was, I was um, just finishing my GCSEs to kind of um, live away from their family. And when I first moved to London, I went to study at um, FE College and I studied art and design. And from day one, really, email communication with my friends and family back in Germany had a, a huge significance for me. What was also true for, for me having lots of part-time jobs as a student and trying to kind of find my feet in this new culture is that I very quickly met a lot of other foreign students um, who were similarly trying to, you know, um, get by waitressing or working in cinemas and shops. And at that time, it was very much my community of people who were all disconnected from home, all trying to keep in touch. And this was in a moment where very few of us had mobile phones or or even, you know, the internet at home. Um, It wasn't really a, yeah, there wasn't really a lot of connectivity. I think paid for telephone cards, international calling cards were kind of the the closest um, to getting connected that I could get at the time. And um, a lot of the time, personal conversations, you know, were carried out in phone boxes. And the idea that you could see... um, family or friends um, or connect with people virtually was kind of, you know, not on my radar at all. And I remember going to my um, college library. I was studying um, in North London in Kentish Town and I was going to the college library several times a week to check my brand new Hotmail email account. 
Um, and I, um, I remember that so vividly at the time when we had five people um, I knew who also had email accounts. And it was definitely very much removed from the constant notifications and constant chatter that I have nowadays. And I don't think that changed very much in my, you know, in my first five years in London. Um, I, I went to university, I went to Goldsmiths College, um, part of the University of London to train as a sculptor. And I was very interested in materiality and making things with my hands. But even then, I still had a real sort of fancy for technology. And I was always really interested in the very beautiful Max that stood in the film and photography studios at art school. Very few um, students on my degree had computers at home. Um, most of us went to the library, but also um, in our workshops or studios where we were able to access specialist software, we were able to start getting connected. And in those days, my ways of, of kind of um, connecting with fellow students or getting involved in the, you know, in the art scene um, that I was part of at the time, very much involved printed materials and meeting in person. It all sounds so quaint now when you talk about it, but it was much more in those days, my family connection and keeping in touch with friends that drove me to get online um, and drove me to, um, to the email clients and, um, yeah, I remember um, I bought my first laptop, a MacBook, a beautiful white computer, which was probably like, I don't know, an inch thick or something like that um, at the time um, for writing up my, my undergraduate dissertation. And I was so proud that I could type it at home and, um, and then email it to myself um, or rather take my laptop and, and, and bring it to the library and print it out there. And um, it felt like you know, the future had arrived at my desk. And yeah, I think it was such a wonderful, um, wonderful machine that I absolutely adored. And um, it did get me connected, particularly with my family, um, but also increasingly with, you know, with other students and with other people I wanted to get in touch with. I, um, I studied sculpture and um, one of the things I really enjoyed was starting to email artists that I was interested in, particularly for my undergraduate dissertation. And um, I was able to start getting in touch with people. And that really started to open up my perspective on, you know, on the potential of studying. I guess there was also online um, library catalogs and journals that I made a lot of use of. But as an undergraduate, I didn't really study online at all. And I think that was partly to do with the subject area I was in. Fine art lends itself at this time at any rate um, to a lot of in-person um, activity. And I spent a lot of my three years at art school actually making things in workshops and going to lectures and hanging out in the library. and. Um, when I wasn't doing that, I was working in a part-time job um, doing telephone marketing because I spoke more than one language. That was the, the most lucrative um, part-time job that I could get. And so, yeah, that was, um, that was definitely the era in my life where virtually connecting was mainly devoted to family and friends.
But after I um, finished my undergraduate studies, I took a scholarship to the Athens School of Fine Art. I moved to Athens um, to train and, and become a, um, a marble carver at the time. That was my ambition. And um, I did abandon that fairly quickly because I realized that it would take me 20 years to get good at, at carving marble. And I didn't have I didn't feel I had that time. <laughs> and so, however, living in Athens and living in a in a country where I spoke very little of the language and read even less was probably my first introduction of how important it is to keep in touch virtually. And I found my internet connection at the time to be the most important thing in my life, um, connecting with, with family, with friends, um, but also um, increasingly with, um, you know, a UK university that I was trying to find to return to London to do a master's. And my master's, which I um, eventually did um, at the Department of Anthropology at UCL, was definitely my proper introduction to to kind of virtual and hybrid working um, because many of the anthropologists that were in my department spent a huge amount of time in the field and um, traveled all across the globe doing their research and it gave me such a, a flavor for how much connecting and keeping in touch um, was important. My my own supervisor um, studied um, Bronze Age and Stone Age um, culture and was certainly someone who was pretty hard to get hold of at times. So email became a much more um, prevalent part of my academic um, practice. And with the arrival of WebCT and, and Moodle and all those wonderful um, technologies, which were completely new to, to me at the time and to many of my um, teachers as well. Yeah, it became a much more a reality of, of life. I think an opportunity that I took um, when I moved from London to Oxford was to, you know, to study remotely more in my final years of my PhD and, and write up um, in, a, in a local library in Oxford at the Bodleian, rather than um, staying in London where living became increasingly more expensive. And I think all of these experiences, um, communicating with my family, communicating with my tutors, being able to connect with the university I was at, all of that gave me a real appreciation for how important it is to communicate and collaborate when you can't see each other and to be able to get through all types of situations when all you might have is a voice or, or, or maybe even a video call, but certainly not an in-person situation. And that is, I think, the origin kind of of my fascination with all things virtual and hybrid working. And I guess in the last 20 years, um, since I, I kind of studied at um, studied at university, that has become more and more of a focus of what I've been doing. So I want to carry on a little bit more unpacking the, the story behind my interest in hybrid working. And I guess um, I left off kind of at the time when I was um, a PhD student. And at that time, I started working at the Association for Learning Technology, where I then, um, unbeknownst to me at the time, um, started 
to to work and continue to to woodwork until 15 years later and that particular organization gave me a lot of opportunity to explore hybrid working and blended working and virtual working in all its dimensions. Um, I had years working there where nearly everybody was based in the office, but to begin with, for example, my line manager wasn't, he was based in a different city. And this was prior to kind of hybrid working being a usual thing. So um, in those days, I would, um, I would email him something that I'd written, and he would print it out and write on it with pen and paper, uh, write on it rather with, um, with pen onto the printed paper, and then fax it back to me in the office, with his corrections and ideas and thoughts. Um, to a period where we had an office um, in Oxford, but quite a few of the colleagues employed at the organization um, and working with us weren't based there and would join into meetings um, virtually um, where we had sort of laptops sitting on meeting tables um, and where we would maybe meet every few months um, or every few weeks but the predominant way of working was still office-based. And then followed by a period where we intentionally decided to move away from an office-based model and become a fully distributed organization in 2017-18. Um, and so at the time, I think, I didn't really know many organizations that didn't have an office. I knew many organizations that were doing a blended or hybrid model, um, but many organizations were very much still office-based and allowed some flexibility. But particularly, um, this is kind of like a small not-for-profit and um, work in the education sector. And many similar organizations were run along, you know, quite traditional lines, um, having one or two offices, maybe a headquarters, and did allow people to work from home um, or work remotely as and as and when. But really, most, most organizations of this kind that I was familiar with, at least here in the UK, would very much work in a traditional kind of office-based environment. So there was a, a huge amount of, of change to negotiate um, when we became uh, a virtual organization. And this is when a former colleague of mine started blogging about um, our experiences and our transitions. And um, that became um, leading virtual teams, a, a blog post series, monthly blog posts that we carried on doing for years and that were fantastic outlets to kind of document the reality of what we experienced and what our team did and didn't like, um, things that worked, things that didn't work, um, things that we thought would go one way and that then went somewhere completely different. And I think the more I blogged about it and gave talks about this, the more I realized that a lot of the experiences that we had were very translatable into other contexts, but just like it is with, with students in, in education, the context is everything <laughs> and the people you're talking to is everything. And the individuality and the individual context um, matters so much when it comes to hybrid working. So whether you, you, know, you yourself are someone who loves working from home or hates working from home makes a difference, whether you have a dedicated workspace, whether you have quiet time 
at home to work, whether you have pets, partners, children, relatives, other care responsibilities, all of this matters so much. And all these factors only really multiply when you start managing whole teams of people who all work from home. And it was fascinating during these years um, of blogging about virtual teams to talk to organizations and individuals who shared their experiences. And I love, you know, sharing experiences with other smaller organizations or sometimes with really large ones um, to talk about hybrid working and blended working. Little did we know at the time that, you know, in 2020, everything would change and the idea of home working would become strongly linked to the pandemic and would also become a completely different experience for all the people who had to pack up their laptop and just go home one day to the next. And I think that's completely changed our perception and experience of hybrid and virtual working. When I wrote my book about leading virtual teams, which was just at the tail end of the pandemic, I couldn't really get a feel for how much things would be changing. So how much would you know people stick to working from home? What would be the long-term impact of all this completely chaotic move to work from home? Um, and while I did do quite a lot of research and analysis of the kind of policy landscape, which I was really interested in and, and how, you know, the UK um, is compares with, with other European or, or other countries um, internationally. It was just a, a really uncertain period. So I really focused on the book on particularly trying to explore the things I was interested in, which is all about what you as an individual or as a leader of a team can influence and what's within kind of your gift or your power to maybe influence if you particularly if you work in a, a small or medium-sized organization now that you know we are a, a few years on again i um i kind of see a kind of different picture emerging and what i'm seeing very much is that that the chaos that is you know, the aftermath of the everybody work from home in the pandemic um, is, is not resolving itself at all. And I think there is a lot of um, sort of window dressing where, you know, organizations are making up hybrid work policies um, that leave so much um, unsaid and don't provide much guidance or support for staff. But what I'm also seeing and what the data is starting to show is a lot of the inequalities that the pandemic highlighted are continuing to come into play. And we don't really have good answers about how we can support people equally if their individual circumstances that enable them um, or indeed prevent them from working from home or having blended working um, are completely outside of our control. We're seeing a lot of demands for flexibility from employees and a lot of employers trying to, you know, trying to act on that. But we're also seeing employers who are basically saying, nope, you all have to come back to the office. Um, it doesn't work working in a blended way. It doesn't work working from home. You can't collaborate as effectively. You can't communicate as effectively. You can't feel as connected to work as effectively. 
And um, I, I think what they're really saying, what they're really telling us is we don't want to invest enough time, money and resources into making it work because we want to go the traditional route that we know how to control. And this is a learning curve that is far too steep and far too complicated and far too nuanced for us to really get right. And that is why I'm so interested in this whole area of hybrid working and virtual teams, because I think so much is currently being negotiated and it is a very unique time in the history of the workplace to have such a visible process of negotiation between employees and employers, between hybrid and working in person. All of this is playing out right here, right now in our workplaces. Um, across most sectors. Okay, so I feel um, I've been talking a lot about the story behind and how I got here, but haven't told you very much yet about the course and what I have in store for October. And this is really what this episode was meant to be about. But I think it's really important to share why I think it's interesting to explore this area. So in essence, the, the course, this is the second iteration of this course. I ran it earlier this year and I got a lot of really helpful feedback. And at the time, the course was very much focused on how to manage and support teams. And I think the feedback I had indicated that a lot of people are really struggling to just find balance themselves and to not just drown in digital noise and notifications and burnout. And so I've tweaked and reframed this course to focus at the beginning and to start with you and to really support individuals, whether you are in a leadership position or whether you are just focused on your own professional practice. The idea is that the course helps you to move from overwhelm and burnout to finding some kind of balance. And what that balance looks like might be different for all of us, um, or rather for each of us, but I hope that the course gives you inspiration and prompts, as well as practical approaches to getting there. So it's set over a period of four weeks, but I've designed it intentionally to be as self-paced as possible, because one of the things I really don't want to do is run a course about burnout and overwhelm of working online and then say, okay, you're going to have to join an hour long Zoom session every day. Um, this is why the course is podcast based so that you can listen and step away from your screen. Um, hopefully you can listen to this um, when you walk the dog or cook or sit in a comfy chair, but wherever you think, maybe on your commute, um, maybe on a run, the idea is that you can listen to all the core components of the course each week, taking um, away what you need without having to sit at your desk, without having to be at your screen. The other core element of the course is to 
give you a framework and support to reflect on your own professional practice. And I know that many people find it really difficult to get started with reflecting and they don't really know how to do it. And this was one part of the course in the last run that people said, actually, you know, I'm, I'm not confident just having a few prompts and kind of running with that. Um, so I have set out um, an opportunity if you sign up to become a, a course explorer to join the weekly hangouts, um, which will give you a kind of deeper dive into reflecting on how your work habits align with your goals and values and getting really practical support. So if you want to do a deeper dive and you don't just want to listen along and do it at your own pace, then you can opt in for the weekly course hangouts and also get some drop in support. But there's also a lot of resources and tools that come with the course, and those will be shared in the show notes to each of the podcasts. But also, um, if you want to, you can opt in to get these directly to your inbox and get a summary with all the resources and tools at the end of the course. Now, the I said it's over four weeks and it is, it has four different um, topics. And I think the course is going to help you develop specific skills t- across these four areas. Um, the first one is really getting to grips with and auditing your own hybrid working habits. I think a lot of us just are on autopilot when we're prompted and nudged and hell and um, harried rather by technology and a lot of the time it's the technology and our meeting schedules that set the pace so the first part of the course is really designed to get to grips with what are you currently doing what is it maybe that the way you're working um is impacting how and what are you noticing um, what is creating stress, what is creating a sense of overwhelm, and to help you identify the areas of your current practice that you want to change. There might be things that are working really well at the moment that don't need any tinkering with, and you might also find some things that on reflection you're less happy with and that you want to give some tweaks to. And then the second area of the course that we're going to be talking about is setting boundaries for a better life-work balance and how to stick to them even when things are busy. I don't think this one needs a lot of explaining, but needless to say, we will be talking about notifications, we'll be talking about stepping away from your screen, and we'll be talking about trying to find ways that work for you to set some boundaries for the digital and hybrid element of your work specifically. That is one of the um, things that I'm really keen to explore because that might work differently for everyone. And that is very dependent as well on your context and when you feel you're productive, when you can be at your best. Now, the third area is around increasing your productivity away from the screen. I think so many people find that they end up having just back-to-back meetings um, all day, every day, and it's just absolutely impossible to get anything done. So in part three of the course, we are going to be focusing on stepping away from the screen, thinking a bit about digital detox, and looking at different strategies for communicating and collaborating outside of video calls. 
So that is definitely one of the areas of the course that was the most popular the last time I ran this. And many people commented on how they really enjoyed not doing things that involved staring at a video camera. And in the part, last part of the course, hopefully we'll bring that all together to look at how to communicate more effectively in the hybrid workplace in a way that really works for you and reduces digital overwhelm. So that's what's in store. Um, I've added a link to the course in the show notes so you can have a look and explore. Um, please do sign up and join us. And I'm also really keen to hear your feedback. If there is anything in particular, any conundrums, problems or requests for us to cover in the course. I am doing the design of the course now in the next couple of weeks and in the wrap to 20th of October, you have a chance to still get your requests in there if there is anything you'd particularly like me to cover. I'm so looking forward to this run of the course. I really hope you can join us. Thank you for listening to Leading Virtual Teams. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, you can find the links to the tools and resources we talked about in the show notes or head over to maradeepwell.com forward slash podcast. Thank you.